Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, we're about Valentine's Day, so we'll preach something that has a little bit of a Valentine's uh, application, spiritually at least. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Uh, before we get into the message, I want to notice, uh, want you to notice a couple things. Verse 28 says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. And again in verse 33, uh, every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Notice that there is some self-love there. Now the Bible does warn that in the last days men would be what? Lovers of their own selves. So there is a right way to love yourself that is a blessing to others, and there is a wrong way to love yourself that is um, leads to great sin. Notice that. And it's worth noting because this is mentioned six, at least six times in the Bible. It may be mentioned more, but I, I, I know of six right off the top of my head. Back in Leviticus chapter 19, it says, Love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 22, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. In Romans 13, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. In Galatians 5.14, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Here in Ephesians 5.33, it says, love your wife even as himself. And in James 2.8, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. If the Bible says something six times, he's trying to get your attention there's a certain amount of self-love that you have, and that ought to be an example to you of how you love others. Good point. He says it six times. He's trying to get your attention. All right, now, mainly, that's not really what we're preaching today, but mainly I'm going to preach Christ as a bridegroom. Now, the metaphor of Christ as a bridegroom is very instructive, and it should be very comforting to us as Christians. Now, in our day, marriage is cheapened. Over half of marriages end in divorce, and second marriages, uh, about two-thirds of them end in divorce, and third marriages, even more than that, end in divorce. So marriage, of course, means little to nothing. But we know that it is supposed to mean something. 
And uh, therefore, it is something that God has instituted, and therefore it's something that we should take serious. Furthermore, the fact that the church's relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is pictured in marriage shows you that it's a big deal in the eyes of God in an old-fashioned Bible-believing Christian's life. It's a powerful metaphor of Christ's loving relationship with his church, and it is way too underestimated in our day. Amen. The Bible is clear on both the type and the anti-type. The husband is supposed to be a loving authority. There is no way you can read this passage and come up with any other conclusion. And the wife is to respond submissively. There is no way you can read this passage and come up with any other conclusion. That's the way it's supposed to work. So we're going to examine this spiritually, and let's ask ourselves if to our Lord Jesus, our husband, spiritually speaking, if we respond to him submissively. When he begins to talk to you, do you turn to him and respond? Lord, would you get used to tuning him out? You know, there is a real danger with Bible-believing Christians that sit and hear lessons and Bible things time after time, several times a week, and read the Bible themselves. There is a real danger of that just becoming background noise, isn't it? That is supposed to be the love of your life ahead of anybody else. Amen. The Lord Jesus. Let's be sure that we're responding to him, all right? First of all, let's look at Christ, what the old-timers would call the suitor. The sutor, S-U-I-T-O-R. That means uh, when he, when a guy goes and asks a girl out, show, first shows some interest. First, uh, how would you say it, makes a move. First thing I notice about the Lord Jesus Christ is he loved the sinner. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You'll have to admit the Lord Jesus Christ loved us. Amen. To come down here from where he was and go through what he went through even before his death. Would you have traded a place of exaltation and riches like Jesus had just to come down here and live the human life he lived even before the death? Why no, no. Amen. But then to think he died even the death of the cross for us and shed that blood, which we'll be remembering here this spring in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's unbelievable. There's no other explanation than love. Dad has a great sermon on the mystery of the love of God. I'm sure he's preached here. He says it's a, uh, it's a mystery because of the originator of that love, God, it's a mystery because of the object of that love, you and me. Here he is all powerful and holy, and here we are all weak and sinful. And it is a mystery because of the offering of that love, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he gave? He gave himself. You know what a husband does, a good husband, that is a type of Jesus Christ? He gives himself. Not his money. Not um, any other thing that he thinks has value. He himself is there in that marriage. Dwell with them according to knowledge. He loved the sinner. Um, mindful in the Old Testament of this need that would come. It's mentioned there even all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. He took on flesh. He suffered and died. 
But then that's still not enough. You really love your wife and children. You know what you do? You have some provision made for them even after you're gone. You've thought of that. You want to take care of them. I very often hear husbands and fathers and mothers sometimes too, speaking of their children, saying, we want to be sure they're taken care of after we're gone. We want to be sure such and such is handled and such and such is done and such and such bills are paid. They're around family that will take care of them and whatever the case may be. You know what Jesus did? As he got ready to leave, he went ahead and told the disciples, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I go, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, and he tells all, all things that the Holy Spirit will do. So he even made arrangements for us after he was gone. And by the way, he also says, oh, and by the way, I'm coming back for you. So one thing I know about the Lord Jesus, he loved who would later be his bride. I know something else about the Lord Jesus that is a mystery to me. He was discontented without her. Now, if ever there was somebody that had every right to be content with the things, the way the things already were, surely the Lord Jesus. He is up there in heaven, the crown jewel of the universe. No sin, no sadness, no sorrow, nothing but wonderful things up there. Angels and cherubim and seraphim singing his praises. But he wanted, because of no other reason than love, to come down here and get his bride. What a thing. Amen. A good husband is discontented without his wife. Constant glory. There's no other explanation for why in the world Jesus would come down from the glory and the perfection of heaven other than that he must have loved somebody. Now, none of us understand the level with which Jesus did that, did this, but most of us understand that there are some people that we love very dearly, and we put up with some stuff, and we go through some things, and we give up some conveniences, and we give up some luxuries to go be with them. Most of us can understand that, but none of us have any concept of just how true that is with our Lord Jesus. So he loved the sinner, he was discontented without her. He visited the sinner from heaven to earth, from glory to humiliation, from comfort to pain. He actually made the move, didn't he? Boy, is the Lord Jesus Christ not the greatest bridegroom? Amen. Does the Bible in vain call him the perfect man? Of course he is. Let me tell you, there is something wrong with a man or a woman or a boy or a girl that says they are a Christian and are not interested in somebody that loves them this much. Is he not the perfect picture of what a man ought to be in, the, in these matters? Furthermore, he used weighty arguments to try to win the sinner. And he didn't give up easily, did he? How many of you remember before you got saved? 
If you hear the gospel just one time and boom, you are immediately ready to do it. <laughs> Somebody has to beat dumb and dumb. Somebody has to keep using those arguments. Now, when you're trying to win somebody's love, logical arguments are not the way to go. <laughs> I understand, I understand we like to think logically, especially the men, and the women too, in, in, in the right context. But when you're trying to win somebody's love, that is not the context for logic. You don't win somebody's love by explaining what you can do for them practically. Love is on a little different level than that. Um, it is true that Jesus has a lot to offer us. No doubt about it. And after we're saved, it is a great blessing to realize the blessings and the practical benefits of being saved. But practical benefits never wins anybody's heart. What it does is that person. You know why the Lord Jesus Christ ought to win your heart? Because of who he is. His lineage is marvelous. He is the son of God. That means all power. That means absolutely holy. That means perfect in every way. But that also means love. God is love. Do I not quote the scripture verbatim when I say Amen. that? God is love. Now when we picture somebody that seems to us like they're perfect, we don't usually think of them as loving, do we? We usually think of them as self-righteous. We think of them as too hard to attain to. There are certain Christian friends I have. I, I hate to admit this. I'm, I'm being too first. But there are certain Christian friends I have. And man, those, uh, those men and women that are just so perfect that although I admire them, I can never be close to them. Because, I mean, just as soon as I see them, I go, man, you're just too perfect for me. I like somebody that's a little closer to my level when I want to really get close to them. I feel like they would understand me better. But the Lord Jesus Christ is that perfect and yet is as loving as the closest family member we have, the closest peer we have, that we don't feel is over our heads. He can do both. His lineage, his power, his compassion. Here's a good one. His humility. Sometimes the people that we think of as so perfect, and by the way, they're not, unless they're the Lord Jesus, but, but they seem that way to us. We don't really think of them as humble. At least we don't see them that way. And it might be us. They might be the most humble person around, but boy, I can't picture them that way. And yet the Lord Jesus, the outstanding thing you could argue in the life of the Lord Jesus was an absence of pride. There have been men who wrote books about the Lord Jesus and said that was the outstanding characteristic of his life. Now, and I would have to admit, if you consider how great and how powerful and how holy and how perfect in every way he was, to see how humble he was, you could make an argument that was one of the outstanding characteristics of his life. 
You saw how far down he came for us. You could make an argument that humility is one of the very top characteristics he had. Suffering. Suffering did not bother him. Suffering, he, oh well, I, I'm sure it bothered him, but it did not hinder him from doing what he needed to do. His suffering. When you see somebody with that kind of lineage and that kind of power and that kind of compassion and that kind of humility and that kind of willingness to suffer and still stay right and still stay loving you, let me tell you what happens. You start to fall in love with that person. Amen. Not just because, oh, well, they can, you know, they got a decent job. Oh, well, they'll help your popularity and your reputation a little bit. And the practical, logical reasons that we might try to give, it's because of the person, who they are. And then, we've gotten used to having him around. And you know what we notice? An emptiness without him. Many times as I've preached over the years, I've said, you know what's wrong with that person? <laughs> They've got a hole in their heart, like a puzzle piece in the shape of Jesus, and every other thing they try to put in there won't fill that hole. And you know what happens when you realize the Lord Jesus in your life and suddenly you push him away and he's not there anymore? You feel an emptiness without him. And here's a good one. He loved you first. Amen. You know what that Bible says? We love him because he first loved us. Amen. One of the most attractive qualities a person can possibly have is if they love Bobby. Man, that's a great person. <laughs> and you know what? You feel the same way. You can't help but love somebody that's crazy about you. <laughs> In almost any aspect. Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus. He loved you. I hardly ever talk to Brother Jeff Baggert without him saying Jesus loves you. That is a tremendous thing to remember. Yes. An important thing to remember. That is an attractive thing. He used weighty arguments to win the sinner, but they're not logical arguments. They're the kinds of things that you fall in love with. Then I want to say this. He left for a while to allow her to choose him while he prepared for her place. I know that you're familiar with this passage, but just to make sure I get it right, let's uh, turn or I'll read to you John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 5, But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So he went As great as it is that the Lord Jesus Christ had that lineage and that power and that holiness and that humility and that love and that willingness to suffer and all the things that we talked about and the fact that he loved us first, as great as all those things are, you don't have a marriage unless she loves her suitor back, do you? You don't have the right kind. The Lord Jesus has shown all these things to you. 
he has been all these things to you, but he still allows you the free will to choose him. And by speaking to anyone who is even struggling to decide whether or not you will have the Lord Jesus as your husband, spiritually speaking, surely not. If there is the slightest hesitation for you to receive the Lord Jesus, I'm pretty sure the problem is not with him. Amen. The problem has to be with you. One reason he withdraws for a little while is because he will not force you. No shotgun weddings in a spiritual in a spiritual sense. You must be willing. Marriage, if it is anything, is voluntary. We can say that sure enough here in the volunteer state, can't we? He left for a while. But even when he left, he still left tokens of his love. We've already mentioned the spirit, so I'll say that again. How about this one? Lasting joy. You remember when you find out your sweetheart loves you? You remember that constant joy in your... I mean, you're not going to tell me that you found out your sweetheart loved you and you didn't feel something inside. It changes the way your belly feels and your chest feels and your brain feels. And it changes the mood you're in and how fast you walk and how fast you talk. It changes your plans. He left his spirit. He left lasting joy. He left his word. He left power. You have a different set of power when you have somebody this good that loves you this much. It changes your life. There have been women who did not come from necessarily a, a powerful family or a powerful part of town, but they married somebody and they found themselves with way more power than they were used to having. And when you marry, spiritually speaking, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have some power you can't imagine. Amen. A lot of things change. Your family changes. Many things. So he gave tokens of his love. And then I want to say this. He waited indefinitely. He had made the move. He had asked her out. He was the suitor. He had shown the interest. He had proven who he was. But he left to let her choose him. And then he just waited. He stood at my heart's door mid sunshine and rain and patiently waited an entrance to gain what shame that so long he entreated in vain. He is so precious to me, we sing in that hymn. Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come unto him and will sup with him and he with me. But in the meantime, he just waits. Is there somebody under the sound of my voice that needs to receive the Lord Jesus? Is there somebody under the sound of my voice maybe that is saved, but you need to make him the love of your life, spiritually speaking? That's Christ, the suitor. That's when he shows interest. Now let's look at Christ, the courter. This is when you get dating, if you want to call it that. First thing I want to say is, uh, he will not keep dating you. I hate to use it terms, but 
best way I know to make it clear, he will not court one married to another. I was telling the kids in the study of Proverbs today, talking about the people that lie in wait and kill people to steal their money. I was saying, even the mafia who did exactly what's described there in Proverbs chapter 1, even the mafia had codes of honor. They wouldn't, you know, rat each other out to the police. They wouldn't mess with drugs, even when they were involved with alcohol. And they wouldn't mess with a man's wife. As immoral as they were, and the stuff they messed around with in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, they had codes of honor. They wouldn't mess with that stuff. Even the mafia had that. Listen, there's some Bible-believing Baptists don't have the code of honor the mafia used to have. Very true. Let me tell you about our Lord Jesus. If he sees you're married to somebody else, that is the end of your courtship. <laughs> if you're married, spiritually speaking, to the law, you can't be married to the Lord Jesus. Christ is the end of the law. He fulfilled it, yes, but he also ended it. Christ is the end of the law for those of us that believe on him. Maybe you... Some people aren't saved. Maybe some people aren't living for the Lord because they're too married to their religion. He will not continue to date you, court you, whatever you want to call it, if you're married to something else or somebody else. Some people are married to their own self-righteousness. You know what Paul said? Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness which is by faith of Jesus Christ. You know what keeps a lot of people from ever... Marrying, spiritually speaking, Jesus Christ, they're just sure they're already good enough. They don't see themselves as lost. You're married to your religion. You're married to the law. You're married to your self-righteousness. Jesus will not court you. There's something else. He will not court uh, someone even attached to another suitor. Jesus believes in it individual one-on-one -on -one relationship. Maybe you're not plumb married to a false religion or plumb married to your self-righteousness, but you're messing around with the world. You've sure got some other suitors. You know what the Lord does? He turns around and says, okay, she's getting her attention. Maybe it's the flesh. Maybe it's a devil and spiritual things and witchcraft and demons and those spiritual type problems. You know what? He's not courting you then. You've hardened your heart. You're messing with stuff that gets you away from the, the Holy Spirit of God and His convicting power. You know what the Spirit is? He's opposed to the flesh. You Amen. know what the Spirit is? He's opposed to this world. You know what the Spirit is? He's a, certainly opposed to the devil and his unclean spirits. He doesn't work in power where those things are. He'll not court one married to another. He'll not court one attached to another suitor. Tell you another good one. He will withdraw himself if consistently ignored. I'll read to you from Song of Solomon. Now you want to talk about a book that shows some love. You go home and read hey. Song of Solomon. And yet, as deep and real and intense as their love is, look at Song of Solomon 5, verse 2. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. 
I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. I rose up to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. There comes a point the Lord moves on. We preached about that. There comes a point he is called, and he is called, and he is called, and let's just be frank. You weren't interested. They moved on. He'll withdraw himself if constantly ignored. My spirit shall not always strive with man. That's Christ the suitor and Christ the courter. Now let's look at Christ the groom. First thing I want to say is he provides a happy wedding. There is joy in heaven. You know what the Bible says? There is joy in the presence of the angels of heaven over one sinner that repenteth. There's joy up there. I don't understand exactly what goes on up there and exactly how much we know up there, but I know who is in the presence of the angels, and that'd be the Lord, and undoubtedly some saints that have gone before. So at least some of them find out when, some, when a sinner repents because there's joy up there, or at least the Lord himself is rejoicing. But there is a joyful wedding. There's joy in heaven. There's joy among the saints. There's joy in the sinner. Do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember when that burden of sin was taken off of you? Do you remember when you used to go to bed at night wondering what does happen after death, and all of a sudden that question was answered, that problem was solved, there is joy that goes along with that, there is peace that goes along with that. Amen. When you get married to the Lord Jesus, there is joy that comes with it. Amen. When the Bible wants to uh, give an illustration of joy, it uses marriage. It says it rejoices as a strong man to run a race and as a bridegroom coming out of the chamber. When it wants to tell you about a place with no joy, you know what he says? And there won't be the voice of the bride or the bridegroom in that city. Because one of the happy days of your life is your wedding day. Let me tell you what the Lord Jesus does. He provides a happy wedding. A bunch of things you used to worry about, you don't have to worry about anymore. A bunch of love that you didn't experience, you're going to experience now forevermore. He provides a happy wedding day. He provides home and wealth. What did Jesus go up there to prepare for us? A place in his father's house which has what? Many mansions. Wait till you see my brand new home, the song says. How about this one? Eternal life. Mm -hmm. Now you tell me a husband that can give his wife eternal life. Jesus. <laughs> that is the only one. I'll guarantee it. Amen. A mansion, eternal life, the best hometown. I don't care where you're from. And I, Lord knows I love our I love our town here in Tennessee. But I don't care if you've got the greatest hometown in all the world, it doesn't compare to heaven. Amen. He gives you a mansion, eternal life, the best hometown, the richest. If any 
of you have the riches that heaven boasts? Of course not. He provides a happy wedding. He provides home and wealth. He provides honor and standing. When you say, I am a Christian, when you have his name attached to you, you have some honor you've never had in your life. You have standing you could not possibly have any other way when you, spiritually speaking, marry the Lord Jesus. Your reputation is helped. I am sorry for the way that some Christians have hurt the testimony of the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you live up to it, now I don't mean perfectly, but for the most part, you have a wonderful reputation and a wonderful name. You have the Bible. This Bible given to you, there is no way to tell you the sacrifice that you have in this Bible mm -hmm. to be set on your lap. And then the scholars and the infidels and a lot of people took it away from us. And somebody like Dr. Ruckman came along when things were going too far the other way. And I'm talking about jerk them around. If you could see the way the religious publications looked when I was a little boy in the 70s compared with the way they looked by the 1990s, you would know somebody jerked a knot in some people's tails, spiritually speaking, and turned them around. You couldn't find enough college to say, we use only the King James, we use only the King James, we use only the King James. Nobody gave a rip about that in the 70s and the 60s. But boy, Dr. Ruckman started turning those things around. You know why the Lord did that? Because he wanted some people to reverence his word. Yes. And we were getting way too far from that. He provides honor and standing with his name, his reputation, his Bible. But here's one we don't talk enough about. His spirit. Now I know I've mentioned the spirit, but he ought to change these. The fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, mm -hmm. peace, long-suffering, <laughs> gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Is that the spirit you exude? When you put that out, that is the spirit that indwells your body when you get saved. Yes, he gives us the honor of his name and reputation and his Bible. And yes, we should earnestly contend for the faith. But our spirit should be love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And the fruit of the spirit, as you know, those nine parts. That's Christ the bridegroom. Christ the groom. Now let's look at Christ the husband. Christ the husband. You talk about the right husband. No wonder marriage isn't just a type of Christ in the church. First of all, he provides for us sufficiently. Psalm 34, 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Maybe my favorite verse in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Everything you need, you got to abound to every good work you're ever going to have to do. Isn't that something? 
You tell me a better provider than that. Amen. He provides sufficiently. I'll tell you something else. He provides sympathy. There is something missing when a husband only provides physical, carnal, mammon, money, paying bills. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to suffer them that are tempted. That means to help them. You ought to offer help. You ought to offer emotion. You ought to offer sympathy. And the Lord Jesus does that. When you're going through something, Jesus feels it. Here's a, here's a verse that says it in some ways more, even more clearly. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know what Jesus, as your spiritual husband does, he knows how it feels to have the weaknesses and the sins that you have and face the temptations that you do, and he faced every one of them. And when you're there with him, you're there with somebody that wants to go with you through it. Wow. Is that not what the feminine and every one of us want? You know, even the men have some feminine characteristics to us, don't we? When you're going through what Randy used to call Mr. Hard Times, don't you want some people with, that love you right there hey. with you going through it? <laughs> Absolutely. Wonderful thing about those stories in Daniel is that the Lord was in there with them. The angel of the Lord was with Daniel in the lion's den, shutting those mouths wide. One like the Son of God was in the fiery furnace with the Hebrew children going through those things. And when you go through your temptations, you've got the right spiritual husband. If you've got Jesus, he is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He provides sufficiently. He provides sympathy. I want to say this. He expects submission. If there has ever been a husband that deserved obedience and submission, let me tell you who that would be. Jesus! I know the Bible teaches it in general, but especially Jesus. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Here's the one that loved you first. Here's the one that showed interest in you first. Here is the one that courted you. Here is the one that gave you all those benefits of marriage. Here is the one that has provided for you. Here is the one that is sympathizing with you in everything that you go through. Drink with us each cup of trembling in our agony. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. You know what happens with a lot of marriages? There's help talking more and more about divorces happening later and later in life. They call it gray divorce. And people marry 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, sometimes go ahead and get a divorce. And you know what they say many times? They changed. And that's true. Over the course of time, you know what? People aren't the same person they used to be. 
Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus. He never changes. Amen. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. Oh, how sweet the glorious message simple faith may claim. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. He expects obedience. He provides support. As we've already mentioned, he's giving you everything that you need to do every good work. Why? That his wife, spiritually speaking, may abound in good works. That his wife, spiritually speaking, may abound in joy. That his wife, spiritually speaking, may abound in praise. That his wife, spiritually speaking, may abound in her full potential. Sometimes the people of modern day say, oh, marriage will just hold you back from reaching your full potential. Oh, not if your husband is the Lord Jesus. Amen. The Lord Jesus can lift you higher than you ever dreamed of going. I've often preached a similar point when I talk about parents loving the Lord Jesus more than they love their children. If you love the Lord Jesus more than you love your children, you've just done the most wonderful thing you could ever do for your children. Because if you love your children the most, and you're the one lifting them up and raising them up, you can't get them near as high as Jesus can. Don't let anybody come before Jesus in your life. It's best for you. It's best for your loved ones. It's best for the cause of Christ. It's best for your country. It's best in every way that it could ever be for you to put your spiritual husband, the Lord Jesus, first. He provides support. Here's an important one. He provides security. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The Lord says to the husbands there, he says, now, they're a weaker vessel in the sense of fragile and need to be handled carefully, not in the sense that they can't do things, but in the sense of a weaker vessel, a vessel that would break more easily. And he says, if you don't do that, don't even bother praying. Your prayers are hindered by such a thing. That's how important security is. How does he provide security? Well, this verse says, likewise ye husbands dwell with them. It doesn't say, likewise, ye husbands have a big sword. Likewise, ye husbands be good with a firearm. I will admit that's part of providing security. But let me tell you what is even more providing security. Dwell with them. Let them know you are there. You are going nowhere. Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus. I am with you always even to the end of the world. Amen. All right, now that's way out there, man. <laughs> that is somebody that is there. If you got a husband like the Lord Jesus staying with you, you can handle anything. How many of us as children remember being scared to death? And when mom or dad or big brother or big sister walked into the room, all of a sudden everything was okay. <laughs> When your husband, the Lord Jesus, spiritually speaking, shows up, he dwells with you, and let me tell you what's handled. Your safety. Your security. There's your shepherd. Furthermore, you know he knows and understands you. It doesn't just say ye husbands dwell with him. It says this. It says, 
dwell with them according to knowledge. You know what scares you? When you're afraid, well, somebody won't understand. And they'll misunderstand. And they'll falsely accuse. And they'll falsely blame. And they'll, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus knows you. Where you do need correction, he knows it, and he will administer it properly. <laughs> but, where you were right, he knows that, and he'll handle that. Dwell with them according to knowledge. You know what that gives you? Security. Whatever he answers will be right. I don't have to worry that there's a part there. He just, let's just be honest. There's some things that we humans don't understand about each other. And even some people that love us will wrongly attribute some evil to us based on the way they understand things. Not Jesus. He dwells with them, and he dwells with them according to knowledge. He protects them knowing how fragile they can be. There is not a better example of somebody fragile than somebody that can handle the fragility that's like the Lord Jesus Christ. He protects them like the weaker vessel like a dish that needs to be honored, honored. Sometimes people say, well, that old-fashioned Christianity, that's male chauvinism, and that's harmful to women. No, it is honoring to women who believe the Bible. And in generations before, we are not saying that it was done perfectly, not by a long shot, nothing that humans ever do is done perfectly. But by their own statistics, the further we get from this, the, the worse depression we have, and the worse anger we have, and the worse mental illness we have, and the worse families breaking up we have, and the worse children being diagnosed with mental illness we have. It's not working the direction we're going. We'd better go back to the way the Bible does it, and especially the way the Lord Jesus is an example. Alright, today we look at Christ's likeness to a lover, a groom, and a husband. If you're not saved, what you should do, you should receive your suitor, your quarter, the Lord Jesus Christ. And receive his proposal of marriage to you, spiritually speaking. But if you are saved, if you have received that from the Lord Jesus, I want to ask you this. How is your response? How is your submission to him? You don't have to worry. Your heart can confidently trust that this is the one that is right and this is the one that loves me like no one else ever has before. I can respond and I can submit to God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful example that you are in the Scripture. Obviously, you are the 